Can you believe that it's December? It's impossible. Although we already had winter, you know. And for all of us who complained about last winter and said things like this, and I'm guilty, why do I live in this state, you know? Last month was worse than last year's November. Six degrees on average colder this November than the one before, and we had four times as much snow. That's what in Milwaukee. I saw that on the news the other day. I'm like, oh, gee, thanks for making me so happy. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it's going to warm up. It's going to be the 50s, I hear, within the next week. It's supposed to hit 50, so we're going to get a reprieve. But it's December. It's only 18 days till Christmas. 18 days. So if you haven't started your Christmas shopping, Christmas baking, Christmas decorating, you better get going. And for the month of December, you know, it's the first Sunday. For the month of December, we're going to spend our four Sundays in the month of December and probably also Christmas Eve. Um, I haven't 100% decided that yet. Looking at the characters of the Christmas story. But looking at them in a specific way. Because that maybe that's been done before, but looking at them in a specific way that we are going to look at the character of the characters that make up the Christmas story. The qualities that make up, the, the qualities in the people that we look at and say, hey, that's something good about that person. And my hope is that as we look at these people and see some of their wonderful and godly character traits, that it will inspire us to desire those traits in ourselves. Therefore, Christmas can be a lot about a lot more than just trees and decorations and gifts and family gatherings and church services. It can be more than all that. Those are all good and fine, but will also serve as an opportunity for evaluation and spiritual advancement in every one of our lives. And, and that would be a good thing, wouldn't it be? That would be a good thing if this Christmas season we all took one more step forward in being a little bit more like Jesus, the person that Jesus wants us to be. I want that for me. And I want that for you. So that's what I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks as we look at the, the Christmas character. It doesn't say characters. Christmas character that will be, will be inspired and desire some of these things for ourselves. So today, the character whose character I want us to look at is the person you'd have to start with in the Christmas story. And that's Mary. We've got to get to Jesus on Christmas Eve. So, of course, Jesus would be the one. But, but uh, the character whose character we want to look at today is Mary. You know, one of the shining stars of the Christmas story. You know, what character qualities did she exhibit that could challenge us and spur us forward in our development, challenge us to draw closer to Jesus so that those qualities that we see in her will be developed and result in our lives also. And, and that's how those, these things happen. They don't happen by seeing something and say, I want to will it and make it happen. That only changes the outside. The way we change is from the inside. And it changed by spending more, being drawn closer to Christ and recognizing what he wants for us. He, by the Holy Spirit, brings transformation and change into our life. So, so these qualities result from our relationship with the Lord and openness to the, to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's start today by reading what God's Word has to say about Mary. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Where else would we go? But Luke, for the Christmas story. Instead of Luke, this is your father. Luke, this is your mother. Right? Mary. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and some of you don't. See, sometimes I can be funny. 
Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel, it is six months of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, from the start, as we look at Mary, I think we need to understand something about Mary. Matter of fact, what I want to do is I want to, maybe for some of us, some of you, debunk a myth about Mary. It'd be myth busters today. The myth that Mary was some incredibly unique and super virtuous woman that God scanned the world looking for, and once he found her, he decided that now he would work through her to bring the Savior of the world. That Mary was some kind of spiritual superstar. And I really think this needs to be debunked, especially in the area that we live in, where some religious traditions have set Mary up on a pedestal as someone honestly, in their eyes, to be worshipped and be prayed for. See, I really believe if, if we could travel in time, and we could bring Mary here today with us. And we were to ask her to tell us about herself. I think Mary would say this about herself. She'd say, you know what? Nothing special here. I'm just an ordinary lady. Nothing special. And she'd say this. Don't put me on a pedestal. But someone might say, well, Mark, didn't you just listen to what you read yourself? Didn't, it, didn't you just read that the angel said to Mary, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And then a little further down, he said, you have found favor with God. And they could easily say, hey, she's a special gal. You know, what are you talking about that she didn't see anything there? Well, I'm not saying that Mary wasn't a wonderful young lady. In fact, in a few minutes, we're going to look at a character quality of hers that makes her incredibly usable in the plan of God. Yet she was just an ordinary young lady like any one of us is just an ordinary person. Ordinary. If you want to describe Mary in one word, that's what you could write down. Ordinary. You can see that that is what she believed about herself in the way she responded to the angel in verse 29. Look at verse 29. When she said, hey, highly favored one, what was her response? 
She didn't say she scratched her head, but I think she scratched her head. It says she's perplexed. She was perplexed. I don't know she couldn't figure it out. She could not figure out why she would be called highly favored. She didn't say, hey, yeah, that's right, you got the right gal. I am highly favored. Matter of fact, have you seen me do this or that? Or, man, I'm smarter than the rest of the gals in the neighborhood. Or, I've got more giftings. Or, you know what, I really belong on the top of the heap. I've been waiting for my chance all, all, all my life long. And you're right, you picked the right one. It's not what she said at all. She was perplexed. She didn't get it. She was like, why in the world would you pick me? No, just an ordinary girl from an ordinary family, living out an ordinary life, born grow up, have your father arrange a marriage for her because she's a good Jewish girl, have kids, cook, clean, ordinary. That's Mary. Being called favored perplexed her. She didn't think she was anything special. There's a reason why I'm pointing this out today before we actually look at at a very admirable quality about Mary. And this is the reason. If we conclude that God worked through Mary because she was some kind of super special, anything but ordinary kind of person, then we establish a false belief that God chooses and uses superior people in his activity. That if we think, oh, she's just this incredibly superstar, special, virtuous woman, that God always chooses and uses superior people, then we believe something we believe something very wrong and it'll have some very negative effects in how we live out our Christian life. And there's two primary things that, that it will affect us in a wrong way about. Number one, it can lead us, and we see this all over the place, it can lead people to elevate certain people to places that only God should be elevated to. That it puts people, it puts pastors, it puts national leaders, it puts you know, uh, spiritual figureheads um, in places that only God should hold. And they're, and they're, they're put on a pedestal that they never, no, no man should, or woman should ever be put on. That if we think, well, God's using them, and the reason God is using them is because they're so wonderful and so great, therefore, they must be really special and we should really worship them. And we have evidence all around us that that happens in organizations and in churches and in the world. You know, we worship superstars all the time, don't we? You know, some kid can sing a song through a, through a mixer, then their voice, and they can dance on a stage, and millions and millions and millions of people buy their stuff and worship them, basically, and will you know, go crazy to spend time with them. We see it all the time. If we think that the reason people are used of God is because he chooses superior people, then we automatically make the connection that, oh, they're being used, therefore they're superior, and we begin to elevate them to places that they should not be elevated. That's the first reason why it's dangerous to not, that we have to understand we can't elevate people above where they're supposed to be elevated. And so and that comes from believing that God uses superior people. The other thing um, that happens if we have this wrong notion is that it does something else in us. You say, well, I don't worship anybody. But it's the other side of the coin. You know what it does? If you say God just uses, he chooses superior people, then you look in the mirror and you go, well, I'm not superior. And what it does is it alleviates all of us ordinary people from the responsibility of being engaged in the work of God. If we believe God only selects superior people, then all of us who are ordinary 
guess what? Most of us are just pretty ordinary. Ordinary is a good thing. And we would then say, you know what? Since God only uses a certain level of people, and, and I might not, according to the world, beat that certain level, therefore it alleviates my responsibility of being engaged in the work of God. The one reason God keeps you on earth is to be engaged in His work. And it alleviates you from the whole thing because you go, hey, I'm just ordinary pastor, nothing special to see here. Get somebody else. But you see, not only here in this story about Mary, throughout Scripture, God goes out of His way to work through incredibly ordinary people all the time. He chooses the ones that others overlook and disqualify, say, you're not good enough, you know, you don't fit, you're not, you're not special enough. But those are the ones God loves to, to choose. So what's he do? He picks a David to be a king. You know, David, the youngest and least of his brothers, he was so incredibly ordinary that when the prophet Samuel came to select one of Jesse's sons to be the king, that Jesse didn't even bring David in from the field to be evaluated to possibly be the king. That the prophet said, God told me one of your sons. He didn't even think it was necessary to bring David in because it is mine. It couldn't be him because he's just an ordinary kid chasing sheep through the pasture. You know what? God went out of his way to pick the ordinary, the overlooked one. How about Moses? God picks a guy that is hiding in a foreign land, running from his past, a guy that's too shy to speak to the Pharaoh himself because he says, I can't speak well. He probably stuttered, is what you know scholars think. And God picks him, Moses. God picks someone who no one else in their right mind would ever have picked to, 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 to deliver to Israel from Egypt and to work all his miracles through. He picks average, ordinary, matter of fact, below ordinary, Moses. Think about the 12 disciples. In Jesus' day, the rabbis picked the best and the brightest, the the gifted and the good-looking to be their disciples for a reason, because it reflected on them. These were people that followed them and emulated them, and they and they basically tried to reproduce themselves in those people. That's what it was. That's what it, you know when you're a disciple of Christ, and if you're born again, the Bible says you're a disciple of Christ. What's supposed to happen is you're living in a relationship and you're becoming like Him. On Jesus' day, the rabbis, religious teachers of the day, would select disciples, and they would pick the best and the brightest and and the and the gifted, because it reflected on them. Because if you're following me. It's saying something good about me if you're great. Understand the connection there? What's Jesus do? Jesus picks a bunch of stinky fishermen and crooked tax collectors. He goes, I'm going to change the world. Yeah, you smell. Come on along. That's what he did. He picked a bunch of stinky fishermen and crooked tax collectors. Ordinary rabble of society. Those who are usually overlooked and disqualified. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to pick you. So when God needed to select someone to be the mother of his son, he did what he always did. He picked an ordinary, everyday, common, easily overlooked, usually mistreated type of person. Ordinary Mary. And church, this is an incredible truth to grasp. Incredible truth to grasp. Because all ordinary people are welcomed by God. That God has room for every one of us ordinary people in his family. That everyone, no matter what the world says about you, God has room for you 
in his kingdom. To be his kid. He has room for you and you can be used in extraordinary ways to fulfill the purposes of God that he destines for your life. You don't need to be a superstar. No superstar status needed for having the Lord welcome you in and use you in mighty ways. Each and every one of us ordinary people can be shining stars in God's plans and purposes. And you know what? This ought to charge us up. Because I think deep inside every follower of Jesus is a desire to know God more and to be used of God to make a difference in this world and to serve Him well. Matter of fact, I think it's something real that if you really have Christ and the Spirit of the Lord living within you, that's a natural thing. It's, it's part of having the inhabitation of the life of God within you. That you will desire to be closer to God and to make a difference as you walk with Him in this world. And the good news of the story of Mary is that each and every ordinary person can do that. And that's incredibly good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? All of us, or some of you superstars, you don't, you know, okay. But as ordinary people, that's good news for an ordinary guy like me. So God selects ordinary Mary and gives her the leading role in the drama that would change the world. And although she was ordinary, we see in her qualities that make her usable in God's plan. And when we look at her, and what we're going to look at in a minute, we understand why God selected ordinary Mary. And so let me show you one of these qualities, the one I'm going to focus on for the rest of our time together. I'm going to show you it by asking you a question. Would you, like Mary did, want to be part of something extraordinary with God? Something extraordinary. God's talking to you. He's sending angels into your life. You're having Holy Spirit encounters that are dramatic. God is going to use you to minister through you to change other people's lives for the good. Would you want to do that? Okay. You say yes. What would it look like? What if you were Mary? Put yourself in her shoes. You're a young lady. Engaged to a man. Being told by an angel that you are going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Might sound a little freakish, but you're going, hey, Pentecostal Charismatics, this is the ultimate Holy Spirit encounter you're ever going to have on the planet. It is, right? Seeking power encounters, the ultimate. You're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And that child that you are going to have will be the promised deliverer that the nation of Israel has been hoping for and praying for. Your son will save people from the destruction of their sins. That's being part of something huge and eternal. But they're going to kill him in the process. He's going to, you're going to feel like he rejects you as his mother. At some point he's going to say to you, Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Oh, these people who follow me. And you're not even going to go see your mom when she's standing outside the crowd asking for you. Would you still want to be Mary? See, I think most of us would say, no way. I think most of us, we say, oh yeah, I want to be something. I want to do something extraordinary for God. I want to have God talking to me. I want God to minister through me. But I think if most of us, and remember, Mary was given the full deal 
in the beginning. He told her this was going to happen. He goes, how is that possible? And he goes, well, it's also what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, so it's going to go on. She knew it. And she said yes. I think most of us would say no. I think most of us would say count me out. They'd say that's not the plan I have for my life. It's too difficult or I don't feel led. Never heard that one before. Would you like to do this? Do you think God? No, I don't feel led. I think, though, what Mary does, what she says to the, to the, to the request, is quite honestly one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. She didn't say no. Look at verse 38. She says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Just stop there for a second. She's identifying herself as a servant of God. She understood the right position. God's here and she's here. She was worshiping him, following him. She understood his lordship in her life. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. That was her whole answer. No hemming, no hawing, no, no excuses. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Church, the quality, the character quality that we see here, the quality that God saw that caused him to choose ordinary Mary was this, her willingness to follow God's plan, no matter what it was. Her willingness to follow God's plan. You see, Mary had a plan, and it didn't include giving birth to the Son of God. And I'm sure her plan was to live out her days as a wife and a mother, you know, this fat and happy Jewish lady chasing her grandkids around, her kids and her grandkids around. That was Mary's plan. It's a cool plan. Nice. But God was up to something. And friends, understand God is always up to something. He's always working. And he invites Mary to join him in his plan. But in order to do that, it required letting go of her plan, her own plan, and following God's plan. And in order to do that, it required letting go of her own plan and following God's plan. And friends, this is key. If you ever want to live in a vibrant and a living relationship with the Lord, you have to do something. You have to exchange your plan for His plan. And realize, His plan is never the easy plan. His plan is never the pain-free plan or the trouble-free plan. But His plan is always the best plan. And His plan always leads to some place infinitely greater than any plan you may have. It did for Mary, didn't it? Her plan required, following His plan, required pain and suffering and difficulty But 2,000 plus years ago, we're sitting here in Port Washington, Wisconsin, on the other side of the globe, talking about ordinary Mary that no one had ever heard about in the world, except for the fact that she just said, I'm willing to to, um, exchange your plan for my plan. It wasn't her plan. She just said, okay, be it done to me according to your word. I'll participate in your plan. You know, I saw this reality of this because, you know, sometimes our life isn't as dramatic as Scripture, or we don't see it as clearly maybe. But I was thinking about this. I was thinking about when have I ever seen this really lived out in my life? And I saw the reality of this in the life of a, of a professor that I had in college. His name is Forrest Arnold. Matter of fact, we got a picture of Forrest Arnold. Anybody ever heard of this guy? Probably not. You have. 
Forrest Arnold. Um, that's his obituary picture. When I was trying to look, look for him, I didn't realize he had passed away. Matter of fact, my heart was, I was just sad when I looked for a picture, looked for Forrest Arnold, a picture on the, on the internet of him to talk about him, and I realized that's his obituary picture. That he died in 2011. Passed away quite a while ago. I'm getting old, you know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but the life that he lived, I can say this about Forrest Arnold, was a life of absolute joy from what I saw that he was probably the happiest and kindest man that I've ever met. I don't know if I've ever met another man happier and kinder. And that the life that he lived, this happy, kind life, was a result, very clear result, of him following God's plan and not man's plan. You see, Forrest grew up really poor in the kind of the slum area of St. Louis, and when he and he was a huge kid, you can't tell it from here, but he's a giant of a guy. And when he was a freshman in high school, his family moved to a little town in in Missouri. And because it was a small town, he stood out. And they had a basketball coach. And the basketball coach in the small town said, "This guy's a giant. He needs to play basketball for our team." And they asked him to play. And Forrest, he was a freshman. He had never played basketball one time in his life. And he, the coach kind of became a father figure in his life and took him under his wing and began to develop him and teach him the game. And they found out something about Forrest. He was really good at playing basketball. Matter of fact, he was so good and he was so poor that he received a scholarship to play at Memphis State. And he took it because he wanted to get an education. There's no way he ever could afford to go to college. And at Memphis State, which is, is, a, is a significant school, he became a two-time All-American he set many of the scoring records that still stand at Memphis State. And after college, he was drafted to the NBA by the Atlanta Hawks. You know, right at the top. This guy was big, huge, and good. The Atlanta Hawks um, drafted him. But he turned down the fame and the money to follow his calling into ministry. And everybody said he was crazy. And I, and I remember him talking about it. Everybody said he was nuts. Here's something you can know about people who, who um, are teaching a Bible school. Some of you will have your kids, maybe you know somebody who's sending their kids off to Bible schools. The professors who have earned PhDs make about what somebody makes, you know, as a manager of McDonald's, maybe. They, make, they, they don't make anything in, in conjunction with their education level. It's this ministry, it's about sacrifice. You know, he never had anything financially because he chose to be a Bible college professor at a, at a small school. But he knew God's plan was better. And as a Bible college professor, he influenced thousands and thousands of students who influenced hundreds of thousands of people in their, in their churches and influenced because that school was the, the, the school that trained almost all missionaries for the Assemblies of God. Um, that um, the Assemblies of God that has gone from in 100 years, from 120 people to 68 million people, and almost all the missionaries for most of the Assemblies of God until very recently came through Central Bible College, and every one of those people had Forrest Arnold as a professor. I did. Did you ever have him? And he influenced all those people, who influenced all those millions of people. And what you learned from Forrest, remember having him for, for Hebrews and thinking, he's not a very good professor. Professor. I'm like, he's not, a, he's not the greatest teacher in the world. 
But the love of Christ just oozed out of this guy. And this joy just oozed out of him. And he was probably the most popular professor every single year he taught. Everybody wanted to be a Forrest, Forrest and his wife, Virginia. His wife was crippled up with, with arthritis. She was also a Ph.D. and, and uh, uh, taught, but she couldn't use her hands because of arthritis. And he would very, you would never see it. We, we spent a lot of time with him. He'd reach over and grab her plate every meal, and he'd cut up all her food and put it back. And he never noticed it. It took me a while to notice. He would do that. And he just cared for her in this loving and incredible way. He lived a happy and fulfilled life in Christ, knowing that God's plan was better than any plan that man could have created for him. He never once regretted not going to the MBA. See, money couldn't buy the joy that he had in God's plan. He, said, he would always say, God's plan is always best. He's a living reality of it. Well, what about Mary? How did, God, how did following God's plan instead of her own plan work out for her? I want to Mary answer the question for us. Listen to the words that she spoke after laying down her plan and joining into God's plan. It's in Luke chapter 1 also, and it's called the, the Magnificat. She's coming in the, by, the, by the fullness of the Spirit, she begins to speak. It says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon me, generation after generation, towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And it stops right there. Look what she says. Verse 48. All generations will count me blessed. Verse 49. The Mighty One has done great things for me. See, Mary knew living in God's plan was, in her words, great and blessed. That's what she says. Now, she would come to find out that with those great things and blessings would also come a lot of pain, that she'd watch her son die on a cross, that friends following God's way instead of your way does not exempt us from pain and problems. But three days later, she saw her son raised from the dead. And shortly after that, she saw him ascend to the Father's right hand in heaven. And I say this, how many moms ever got to see that? One. Friend, here's my final thought on this whole thing. The character quality of Mary that made her special, this willingness to follow God's plan, is something each and every one of us can do. That's what God's calling you to do. To follow Him. Doesn't take any special abilities. Doesn't take any special talents to say, God, be it done to me, unto your word. So the question we end with today is, what's God calling you to do? Or maybe this, the opposite side, what's God warning you against doing that you're going down the path of that you know, according to God and His word, is not God's plan for you? But in your mind, you can make sense of it. 
you know, it just seems like this might... You know what? What's God's plan? His plan versus your plan. You know what, church? Let's be like Mary. And we're willing to follow God's plan for our lives, knowing that it always leads to the best place. Amen? Amen. Well, I know this thing about the plan of God as we close. His plan for each and every one of us begins with coming to know Him as Savior in our own lives. Right? The good news that Jesus preached was that everyone is welcome in His kingdom. And friends, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know the one who washes away your sins. This is what I know about God. You can know Him today. You can find forgiveness and commit to following His leadership in your life. And if you do know Him, you can surrender to His plan for your life. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Join me in praying today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're so incredibly good to us. Thank you for the example of Mary, that she had a plan, that she had a plan and she surrendered her plan to you. She said, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. And I want to do it your way. And Lord, I would ask for every person in this place, Lord, that as you would speak very clearly to us and those things in our lives where we're making direction decisions, the plans of our lives, God, the careers we'll live, the spouses we'll have, the, the way we'll raise our kids, the everything, God that you would help us to be like Mary and just say, God, I want to do it your way because your way is the best way. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to, sell. We don't want to, we don't want to do something today that will end up being lesser in the future. And you know the future, so we trust you. So God, give us clarity in our hearts as we walk with you. Friends, during this Christmas season, You don't know the Lord. You say, you know, you really don't. Only you know that. This Christmas season, as Jesus' name is being celebrated everywhere, open up your heart to Him and invite Him into your life. You can do that simply by praying something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I need You. I surrender myself to You. I want to follow Your plan. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Wash away my sins. Make me brand new. Breathe spiritual life into me. And from this day forward, God, I want to walk with you as my leader. And so I commit my life to you. I commit my life to your leadership. Friends, the Bible promises us if we do that, He will always receive us. So, Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you love us, you care for us, you're here for us. Now, Lord, as we walk in this world, help us to take your love and your grace to every person we meet. Help us to to be your hands and your feet, expressing your, your genuineness to a world around us. So this holiday season, Christmas season, they may see you as not being a fable, but being real. Change our lives, transform our lives for your glory, so that you'd be glorified in all that we do. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.